0: Welcome to Bio, a podcast produced by the Biographers International Organization. Bio is devoted to promoting the work of biographers and advocating for biography as a genre with the support of biographers and biography lovers worldwide. I'm Bio member Lisa Napoli in Los Angeles. On each episode, we'll talk with a biographer about his or her work.
1: This time, the writer and professor Monica Sumac. Her latest book is titled La Vocación Desmesurada, Una Biografía de Alberto Gurchunov.
0: I asked her how she chose to write about the Argentinian writer and journalist Alberto
1: Gurchunov. I was teaching at um, the University of Oregon in the year 2000. And um, this was my last Ph.D. seminar before leaving Oregon. Um, So I decided with a colleague who was a specialist in French um, 19th century and early 20th century, we decided to teach a seminar together on um, the moment from the emancipation of the Jews in France and after French Revolution to the Holocaust and to do a comparative look with Argentina and Latin America in general. And so I chose one of Garchunov's books because he had just been translated into English twice. His most famous book, The Jewish Gauchos of the Pampas, had been translated to English uh, that year. So uh, since the seminar was taught in English, I had a, uh, a good book to have the students read. And I could even choose a translation, which is a luxury you don't have so often. And And I was really taken aback because I thought this book was I didn't think this was such a great book or that the students in the class, um, it was a diverse group of students, several um, African students, a few Latin Americans, some Europeans, and a few Americans. It was 15 Mm -hmm. students in total, but a very diverse group. I didn't think the students would especially like the book. And the students loved the book. And and I found that several of the students, those who came from Francophone Africa, for example, were very touched by some of the aspects of the book which dealt with the agricultural Jewish colonies in Argentina. And they had seen things in the book that I had never seen um, because I had first read it in grade school. So for me, it was always attached to this silly book you read when you're in school— So I started reading more and more of his works and he had published 18 books, but the only book which has survived is that book which he published when he was in his 20s. So I wrote a few academic articles and then it came to a point when I thought what I want to say about him is not something that I can say uh, if I continue to write academic articles. There's something about his life which will... Let me say something different, and which will also, um, I realized it would allow me uh, to delve into different aspects that I wanted to to think about, mainly the first 50 years of life in Argentina, first 50 years of the 20th century, that is, and also those same years in Europe, the, the years leading up to the Holocaust and the aftermath of the Holocaust.
0: Let's step back for a second, and if you can describe Gershinov's, what what his brief Brief for someone who's not familiar.
1: He was born in the Russian Pale. Um, He immigrated to Argentina in the late 19th century, like um, a big proportion, a a large group of uh, Jews in the Russian Pale immigrated mainly to the United States or to Argentina during that period. Mm -hmm. And um, his father was murdered right after they got to Argentina. He was a seven-year-old who watched his father being murdered, and um, Russian Jews often, uh, depending on the on the time, and but they would have to sign uh, a promise of no return when they were given passports to leave. So his mother didn't have anywhere else to go. I, I wonder if she would still have wanted to go back to to. To the Russian Pale, but the idea was that they, a few months after they had arrived, she was a widow and she had five children, and so what happened to him? And this is one of the fascinating things: is that from that life experience, you could become uh, someone who has, who becomes better. And and he did something completely different. He transformed this, and, and this place, a place where his father had been murdered, into the place which meant for him what his father had seen in Argentina, which was freedom, a republic, life uh, in a place where they wouldn't be persecuted as Jews. So he he really became a success story of immigration and of the melting pot. As a very young child, he went to very prestigious schools. He became a journalist. Um, He became a published writer. He was a diplomat. He ran for office. And um, he campaigned in the last few years of his life, when he was already very sick, for the creation of the state of Israel. So he he was the one who um, I I don't know if I could say single-handed it, but but really close to that, um, he he got the vote of the Latin American countries to support the partition of Palestine and the creation of the State of Israel in the United Nations.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so is he widely known in Argentina because of that
0: or is he, Is where is he today known and is that was that part of the
1: reason you wrote the biography? He's a very very well-known person in Argentina but as sometimes happens when people become very well-known there's one aspect of their life which becomes well-known. So Um, So he's very well known for this book, The Jewish Gauchos, which has been made into a movie, which is read in all levels of schooling. So so he's well known as a writer of that book. And only a couple of his other books have been uh, republished recently. He's known throughout Latin America. Um, and and the Jewish community in, in Argentina and Latin America really rescue his figure and but but I think in a way that has played against the nuances of his life mm. and um, he and and I think he also he's a major figure in the literary world during his life but as usually happens when the uh, literary histories are written they usually focus on several, Characters, one or two writers, so so he was sort of moved to the side. So everyone, for example, people who teach literature know who he is, um, but um, probably they have only read one of his books. So so this has, I think, the publication of the book and um, and part of the reason why the book was so widely reviewed and um, was that uh, everyone sort of knows who he was, but they know very little else. And um, he, you know, and his involvement in several different uh, political struggles, his uh, his so so you find him everywhere when you read the primary sources, but he hasn't become the figure that I think he should have become.
0: Congratulations, you're Thank helping you. to do your
1: part to to
0: do that. So tell me about the obstacles that you faced in the research of somebody whose books are so widely out of print. Um, Was there one repository of papers? Was there a repository of papers? Yes,
1: I was very lucky. And I think that that's also what um, made the possibility of writing a biography um, more feasible, was that after his death, his family organized all his papers and donated them to the University of Buenos Aires. They were waiting for you. (laughs) They were waiting for me, yeah. People had, uh, and, and actually I knew they existed. Um, I had met someone at a party who was organizing them years before. And so people had gone to his archive but um, to for research on different topics, but not necessarily to write a biography. So I had 20 boxes of material which were not organized, but they were there. So there were letters. And I also had four grandchildren that uh, were still alive. Only two of them are alive now. But they were all very generous, and they all shared information, were willing to talk. um another thing that was that even before I was sure what I was doing, I started interviewing people and and so the advantage of that was that several people passed away during the process. so I was lucky that even before I was sure, I started talking to them because some some people who had been students of his uh, when they were teenagers and were already um, probably in their late 70s, 80s. Um, I talked to them while they were still alive and um, and very willing to talk and very anxious to talk. Whether it's if I had waited to do more research, I would have missed the opportunity. And then I, I went to the archives of the Alliance Israelite Universelle in Paris and I found the handwritten letters of his great school teacher. I I used a lot of sources in Argentina, a lot of archival sources, but I also uh, worked in the archives um, in Jerusalem. Jerusalem has an archive of Zionism, so I worked with the sources there regarding the creation of the State of Israel. I worked in archives in Spain, here in the United States, in the Library of Congress, and in the New York Public Library, in the Doros Center. So it has a lot, a lot of archival work. But I think I wouldn't have known where to start if I hadn't had his personal archive available. How long, over how long was it? Oh, over 10 years. (laughs) Yes, a long, long
0: time. Um, and it, 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 I know today here at the conference, we always hear these fantastic stories about it's never as simple as I'm writing anything, but particularly a biography. I'm going to sit down and I'm just going to do it. Yes. It's about, you gradually ease into it. And it sounds like it is It is the culmination of a lifetime of thinking on your part, yes. too. You wrote your book in Spanish. Did it occur to you to
1: write it in English? It did. Actually... Um, I'm an academic, and I, I write in both languages, and mm-hmm. I publish in both languages. And, um, and this book, actually, um, for a long time, it was my side project because I, I didn't want to commit it to certain limitations of academic writing. And it's at the beginning, um, when I started thinking about this book, I was still living in the U.S., so I thought I would write it in English, but once I moved back to Argentina, um I wanted it to be the book um that would mark my return after 25 years outside of the country. And and also I think it was um kind of paying back because um this was a book that um I you know, I I think I always kept it a little bit as a side project because um while I was still in the states, and then I spent uh a few years working in Mexico City uh, also in an academic institute um in a research institute, I always felt that um maybe biography was not the project for my academic um advancement mm-hmm. and 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 so when i when I wanted to go back to Argentina. I applied for a grant from the National Scientific and Technical Council of Argentina to write this book, and that would also mean coming back to the country and becoming part of that institution. And so that was the book I came back to Argentina with. So I thought that uh, writing it in Spanish was a way of coming home. Um, When I was thinking of applying, a friend of mine told me, uh, oh, this is such an Argentinian project. You have to write it here, and you have to write it in Spanish. And and I thought that um, it was true that the language I would choose would determine what kind of book I would write. So, so that's why I decided to write it in Spanish. It's...
0: Impressive to me that anybody can read and write more than one language, since one is hard enough. So the idea that you would have a choice is so impressive and daunting. And um, as you say, you've done both. So um, what, what was it like for you once you sat down to write? Or have you been writing in fits and starts as you've been working all along the process of of getting the book done?
1: For a long time while I was living outside of Argentina I I wrote in fits, and then once I came back I it it became also because I had the archive close by and I had the newspapers and the national library so what I could do was really um, not focus on going to the archive and getting a lot of information and then taking months or years to process it, but rather to go back and forth. And so I would um, try to keep days where I would go to the archive. And and sometimes I did things like, you know, um, I was writing, for example, about a period when he was writing about Emile Zola, the French writer. So on the subway, on the way to the archive, I would be reading Sola. So I did also, I, I think that making it part of my daily life brought it alive in a different way so it would have been a different book if I had written it from the United States even if I had decided to write it in Spanish because it was all a total you got to do the total immersion yes yeah, yeah. In part. That's, yeah. Why,
0: that's why yeah
1: and that actually figures in the book too so um, I had mixed feelings about it but it ended up being in the book and I like it and the the
0: Process you mean, or which? Part? Yes,
1: yeah. uh, some of some of the process, some of the um, the subway anecdote, for example. Because I, I recorded in the book um, the nuances, the things I had no answer for, and um, and I did a lot of walking, trying to walk in his steps. So I even. I went to, to the Ukraine, to the place where he was born, to the village where he was born, and there's basically no archival information, but just um, to walk around. Um, there was something about this that, uh, that really helped me think about his life, because I, I think one of the challenges of biography in general is that there's so much your subject knew that you don't know, but then we know a lot of things they don't so so it's it's very difficult i i think to to keep that in mind all the time, and especially in in the case of Jewish intellectuals of the first half of the twentieth century um, to know that uh in the thirties. They didn't know what was going to happen. So I think, and, and I learned Yiddish to read the Yiddish newspapers and to read. So I, I think the fact that this was so present, but, you know, if you look at the newspapers in the 30s when they're talking about Hitler, but they do not know what will happen later on. So I, Yeah, that is, it's always daunting,
0: but especially in that period mm, yes. to imagine. It's, I think it's impossible for us to ever know what it was like, but to even just, begin going down yes path and yeah wow so it sounds like the timing all worked on this it was just the right time for you and for him yes (laughs) hopefully (laughs) is there anything major daunting about the research something that you didn't find that you were looking for something that I had a great conversation last year with Vonda Kreft about... She she said something that that really resonated for me, and that is, the best research is the stuff you didn't know you were looking for. Oh, yeah. In oh, this,
1: this is wonderful. But That's it sounds wonderful. like, in your case, you knew a
0: lot. You knew what you were looking for, or you had a sense of what you, you know. I
1: don't. Or, I don't know. I think, I, I, and I think the advantage of having such a long period devoted to this book is that things came up. And um, so I found a lot of information and, and I found a lot of connections that I didn't even know existed. I, every single place I went to, I went to a personal archives of writers looking for letters of Karchunov. And in many cases since um, they're minor, they were not archived. And then I had experiences, for example, one day um, I found um, a letter from a distant relative of his, right before his death, who was writing a Ph.D. on his works here at the at Columbia, and and she had written to him to tell her to tell him that she was pregnant and that she she would she had um, she was trying to get. The Jewish Gauchos translated into English. It had already been translated into Yiddish, and so she said, "I I will not be able to devote that m- much time because I just found out I'm pregnant and we're moving to Baton Rouge." And and then the day after, I was in Santiago, Chile, and a woman came up to me to ask me a completely different question about a book I had written on um, the disappeared in Argentina. She was doing research on the disappeared in Chile, and when she introduced herself. I recognized her last name, and without giving it a thought, I said, "So you're Sada's daughter." And and she's and she said, "I just came back from saying Kaddish for my mother today. Is the anniversary of her death." And the day before, I had read the letter where her mother announced that she was pregnant with her. And so this woman had actually kept an ark, you know, a, a, an archive. Of uh the documents of the disappearance of Gertrunov's grandson, so that made it into the book, although you know because this uh this grandson was actually uh in that family there were two other children um and and he barely knew this child, but then he disappeared so I actually think that all these connections which I wouldn't have been able to make. If, if this hadn't taken uh, such a long time, I and mean, if I hadn't looked uh, in, in such a haphazard way uh, around the archive. And now, Monica Sumuk
0: reads from her book at the 10th Annual Biographers International Organization Conference opening night on May 17, 2019, at the Febri Mansion
1: in New York City. The title is actually, uh, I'll say it in Spanish and I won't translate it, but I will translate what I'll read. Don't worry about it. So the title of the book is La Vocación Desmesurada, Una Biografía de Alberto Berchunov. I wrote it in Spanish and I translated a little paragraph, a couple of paragraphs to read today. Abraham Bern Gershon Gershunov arrived in one of the hundreds of ships that made shore in the Argentinian coast at the end of the 19th century. He was the seven-year-old youngest child in a Yiddish-speaking family that hailed from the Russian pale. Before long, probably while still in the immigration station, he became Alberto Gershunov. Soon afterwards, in the Jewish agricultural colonies of the Pampas, he chose Spanish as his language. From then on, new name, new language, his life can be told based on achievements. Excelling in the most prestigious high school in the country, publishing in the most modern newspaper in all of Latin America before the age of 18, editing a newspaper before 20, authoring a bestseller before 30, the story of his life can also be narrated through his relationships with celebrated friends and pen pals. Jean Jaurès, Marcel Proust, Jorge Luis Borges, Gabriela Mistral, Victorio Campo, Stefan Zweig, Waldo Frank, Pablo Neruda. His will, preserved in the judicial archive of the city of Buenos Aires, in the Avenue of the Immigrants, very close to the place where he landed as a child, renders a sense of the path his life took. He didn't bequeath property, but literary works, and immense cultural contributions in books and newspaper articles. In a society such as that of Buenos Aires, always so attentive to French culture, Garchunov proclaimed himself a passionate reader of Spanish literature very early. Don Quixote was his guide, his repose, the book he would go back to. He enrolled quixotically in all the causes he considered just. Cuban independence, the Russian Revolution, the Spanish Republic, the independence of India, the creation of the state of Israel. He vehemently criticized anti-church violence during the Mexican Revolution, segregation in the United States, Argentina neutrality in the two world wars, fascism and Nazism a self-declared citizen of the world, no political struggle he deemed just was foreign to him. A child of the doomed Jewish world of Eastern Europe, he painfully watched it come asunder and devoted the last few years of his life to the creation of a homeland to house the survivors of the catastrophe.
0: That's writer Monica Sumuk. My conversation with her was recorded on Saturday, May 18th, 2019, at the Leon Levy Center for Biography at the City University of New York's Graduate Center during the 10th Annual Biographers International Organization Conference there. To learn more, please visit our website, biographersinternational.org. Enzo De Palma created our theme music. Sheree Newman is our podcast editor. I'm Lisa Napoli in Los Angeles. Thanks for listening to Bio.